0: Hello everybody and welcome back to this week's edition of the Wing Addiction Podcast. I'm your host Josh and as always my co-host is my... Man, she's lovely. She's looking like she's not...
1: I'm mad at him. That's why he's saying that.
0: My co-host is my lovely wife Leslie. Hi y'all. We are back. This week's guest you are really gonna like. We have Mr. Todd... I don't want to mess his name up, but I'm going to try this. Bogan I think he said it was right. Mr. Todd Bogen Schutz, he's the Iowa DNR Small Game Specialist. And he is the man when it comes to pheasant, quail, or guess what? Even Hungarian partridge in the state Anything of Iowa. Anything
1: with wings in
0: Iowa. Anything with wings in pretty Iowa. Pretty much, pretty much, except turkeys. But he is their small game guy in Iowa, and we had a great conversation. He's upland with, game guy. Yes, upland. Game. Game. Yes, upland game guy. Excuse me.
1: Don't call him about rabbits.
0: Don't call. Him. <laughs> but he is your man. But anyways, it's a great podcast. But before we get started, as always, we're going to go through our sponsors this week's. Podcast is brought to you by Anukshuk Pro Dog Food,
1: Dakota Two Eighty Three Kennels,
0: Onyx Hunt,
1: Cable Gangs,
0: High Plains Gear,
1: and Sport Dog Brand.
0: There you go. That is this week's sponsor product info. That was quick, short, and sweet.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about Patreon.
0: Yes. If you want to join us on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash wing addiction podcast. Uh, you can enter a 5 10 15 or $20 level every month. Help us out, bring these wonderful podcasts to you. And we really, really do it. A- Appreciate our patrons, and we're humbled that anybody would choose to be a patron of ours.
1: Special discounts, special opportunities for giveaways, yep. special hunting opportunities—all mm-hmm. of that um, is a perk of being a patron. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: I tell you what, do I haven't even run this by Leslie yet?
1: Oh gosh, she likes when I do this. Oh, no.
0: I am going to give the first three. patrons, the first three $20 patrons, a free Onyx Hunt Elite membership. What do you think about that, old girl?
1: Wow. I think that that's a pretty nice. That is a
0: pretty dang good trade. Yeah. A $20 patron member to get a free $99 Elite. Yeah,
1: you give me a 20, I'll give you a 100. I wish I could get Josh to do that with me. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it's the other way around.
0: Dude, she gets every dime I make. Whatever. I'm over here eating ramen noodles and ramen she's over here her eating. PayPal. She's, she's over here. Turking off the cat to feed the dog. <laughs> that was plum backwards.
1: Turking off the dog to feed the cat? Yes. Well, I, why can't you do both?
0: <laughs> Golly, you can't take this lady nowhere. Um... So, we have got a huge announcement. Yes. We have got a new sponsor on board. A really cool and if, one. And if you really listened to that intro, you caught it. But if you didn't, you're like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Or
1: I bet you know who it is if you follow us on Instagram and you've paid attention to our Instagram posts. That's
0: right. Go jump on Instagram. Don't tell me you don't have Instagram because if you're listening to a podcast, you are sophisticated enough to have Instagram.
1: Even Josh's daddy has Instagram and he accidentally sends SOSs on his phone. So if you don't have Instagram, then I don't know what to tell you.
0: So drum roll, please. (laughs) she looked like uncle um what's his name on the (laughs) oh gosh on the christmas vacation when they were uncle eddie no who was the one that done the drum roll clark asked for the drum roll when he was fixing to turn the lights on they didn't ever light up so it didn't go good all the kids was doing it you just
2: wasted
1: a bunch of everybody's time and that's like about 45 seconds he will never get back move on
0: Okay. Anyways, drum roll, it's High Plains Gear.
1: High Plains Gear. And you may not know who they are, so you need to figure it out. You need to go to their website.
0: HighPlainsGear.com. That's HighPlainsGear.com. This gear
1: is Let as close as you can get to custom made for your body. It is made in Cody, Wyoming
0: by a veteran assembled in america made in america are you even american if you don't own one of these vests i don't know i don't really think you are high plains gear has two options they have what they call the desert hunter and the thing i like about high plains gear is their belt is all the weight is on your waist it's not on your shoulders how many times you've been walking through the fields with pheasant or a vest full of quail and you're like oh my gosh let's get back to the truck your shoulders is killing and
1: then you. like a contortionist you're trying to reach all your pockets and figure out where you put what and
0: their bell is a molly system now it's owned by a guy named reese reese r-y-h-s is how he spells his name he is a retired h-y-s yeah that's whatever that's what i meant. He is a retired veteran from the U.S. Marine Corps. His wife just retired from the Army, or was it, she, what did.
1: I don't think they were in the same branch of the military. Yeah, they they
0: were in a different branch of the military. But anyways, they're both veterans, Reese and his wife, which is super duper cool. So this belt and the whole gear is based around the Molly system. You can customize where you want to put your water pouches. You can customize where you want your bird bag. You can wherever you want your shell bags. I'll tell you, got- you
1: what we're going to do. We're going to put one of these systems on and walk you through it. Um, we're going to post that video after this podcast, or the same day that this podcast will air. Um, we'll post that video. We'll put the system on and go through and show you the functionality of this thing because we could describe it yeah and but until you see it like you you won't understand and this stuff
0: is in the thing i like about the thing that i think sets his system apart from any other on the market is the spring-loaded pocket enclosures and yeah and the desert hunter actually if you're just you know out for quail chuck or something like that the game bag you don't even use the shoulder straps with the with a field with a game bag on your back. You just it comes with a game bag that hangs off the back of the belt. If you're dove hunting, if you're quail hunting, I mean you can fit a limit of birds in this bag that hangs off the back of your belt. You'll never even tell you're mm-hmm. wearing this thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a genius design. And that is called the Desert Hunter. Now you can also get the Uplander. The Uplander is the same exact system as the Desert Hunter, except Due to the Molly system on the belt, you can attach the shoulder harness straps and a game bag to the belt and have a total Upland vest. It's a strap vest. His shoulder, and another thing I love about his, the Uplander, is the shoulder straps are super thin. You don't have Mm -hmm. no big bulky strap getting your way. It's also got a chest strap on it to tighten it up around you. You can hang, it. he even makes a uh, holder for the, I think it's the Garmin 550 Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, Garmin 550 Pro. They've got um, uh, water bottle sleeves that you can add to it. They've got the Dogtra Edge RT. If you run the Dog e- Dogtra Edge RT holster, he's got a holster for that, or a remote, he's got a holster for that. He's, uh, like I said, the Garmin Pro 550 Plus holster. And you can actually order extra collapsible pouch. He makes them in hunter orange or high vis orange, whatever you want to say. And he also also makes them in, I would guess you would call that that's coyote brown, coyote brown. Yeah, yeah okay. it's coyote brown. So if you don't want the orange, if you like a more Maybe traditional, you're hunting. yeah, you don't want all that orange on. You. Yeah, yeah, get it in coyote brown. But uh, the bird bag and shoulder straps, like I said, you just add that to the to the belt system. He also makes uh, Kydex holsters for starter pistols, uh, High planes Gear. It's um, but it's a killer a killer belt and i tell you i'm in love with those collapsible pouches that you keep your shells in that's-
1: i put one on today and i I'm, I'm pretty happy with my i've been pretty happy with my upland vest but let's be honest there's not a whole lot of differentiation out there and and i don't think a lot of the problems have been addressed but i put one on today and I just could not believe it. I was like, man, this is comfortable. Yes. I mean, crazy comfortable. Like, you don't even realize it's on, really. It felt like a gentle hug.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here we go. It
1: did. It did. You know, I mean, I hate to put on, uh, for example. I can't
0: believe she just said her bird vest felt like a gentle hug.
1: It did. Okay, I'm going to give you an example of what doesn't feel like a gentle hug. Um when i put on my um is it my maybe it is my bird vest or is it my turkey my turkey vest
0: probably your bird vest cuz your turkey vest fits pretty good
1: i think it maybe it is okay so when you have the the waist strap of your vest fighting with your clothing
0: yes That is your upland vest. You
1: have a problem. And, And so, you know, when people are making the waistband on things, they do the, I feel like they all, there must be some waistband manual out there that says all waistbands need to be this width or whatever. And the width on this is completely different. It almost gives me the, like, the look of a, I mean, you know how like when weightlifting belts are supportive, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not bulky like that, like not as thick, but it gives me like that kind of vibe. Yeah. It know? sits great on your hips. It, it feels almost, it feels like it's supporting you instead of you're supporting it basically. That's good.
0: Yeah. That's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. That's good analogy. Yes. So check them out. High Plains Gear. Uh, we've got Reese coming on for an episode that will probably be the next episode. Uh, After this one? Yeah,
1: I'm so bummed that when we talked to him on the phone the other day that that wasn't a podcast because he was so fun to talk to and we couldn't stop asking him questions and he, you know, the the commonality and like Mm -hmm. a lot of what we talked about and, you know, everything he said, it just... I hope that the podcast goes as well as our conversation did mm-hmm. because it was uh, it was an absolute great conversation and
0: and, and I hope I hope we help uh, Reese take this company to the next level because it, uh, you couldn't ask for a, a better guy. Yeah, yeah. I that's, mean, I
1: mean that's our goal is to, is to hope you know with our few listeners we have that you guys will pay attention and that you'll check him out and that you'll um, show him some love and yes, pay- and, and if you do end up purchasing purchasing we're working on some stuff that we can help with oh, our lenser yeah. our listeners um, out with purchasing some of its products. But um, you know, these small companies like this let me throw a need big... your help. So so if you do buy anything you know, be sure and post it on social media. Tag yes. them in it. Try to collaborate with them. Tag um, us. Tag us. Show show pictures of it. Tell, tell them what you like about it. And
0: if you already have a High Plains gear vest, yeah. put it out there. Tag Absolutely. us and say, hey, Wing Addiction, look here. We, yeah, we, we beat we, you to the punch. Yeah, we got this. But listen, um, we love the stuff, and we are working details out for our pay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had to sneeze. Holy smokes. That pause was unintentional. Uh, we're working, working something out for our patrons, hint, hint, um, and also a promo code for our listeners. But anyways, that's our newest sponsor, and we want to welcome Reese in High Plains Gear and his wife. And we are in just humbled to have y'all on board and can't wait just to see what... To, death yep. to
1: to move forward
0: with this. But. So... Without any further ado, uh, check out those sponsors, the Pro, or excuse me, a Dog Food, Dakota 283, Sport Dog, Onyx Hunt, High Plains Gear, and I'm forgetting one, Cable Gangs. Nope, didn't forget it. Got it. Got mm-hmm. Cable Gangs.
1: And Reese uses Cable Gangs.
0: Yep. Yep. And Reese told it. He said, oh man, he said, those Cable Gangs, he said, those things are awesome. I think it's funny, when we started this podcast, nobody had ever heard of Cable Gangs, and we were the first podcast that they ever sponsored. And now, and I'm not saying it's all because of us, but now everybody in the country has got cable gangs or they're and wanting cable it gangs. just
1: shows you how a good product will make it. Mm-hmm. A good product will make it. Yep. And the hunting community is a small community and we all talk. And-
0: People, I've got a request. I have been talking to some sponsors, and I know I have listeners ordering stuff from our sponsors that are not using the promo code. They're ordering it and paying cash full price. If you order a Dakota 283 kennel, use our promo code. It's in the show notes. If you order Onyx Hunt, use our promo code W-A-10, WAP10. It's in the show notes. If you order a Nook Shook dog food, use our promo code. It's in the show notes. If you order from Cable Gangs, use our promo code. It's in the show notes. Don't pay full price, people. Don't pay because I had one of my sponsors call last week, and she said uh, they're not using your promo code. And she's telling me who it is. I'm like, they're our list shit. They're not even using a promo code. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah,
1: and listen, it's not because we are wanting a check cut for us. That's not it at all. We we get better. Deals for you, and we get more giveaway items.
2: The more times,
1: more, yep. more, listeners interacting with the with the codes. So yes, so help be yourself sure and yep. help us, and then that'll help you some more again.
0: Exactly. You know. So patrons, big news coming down the pipe. Be sure to join first three that joins patrons as twenty dollars sponsors. were given three Onyx Hunt Elite memberships away. So jump on there. Hey, I've held y'all for good grief sixteen minutes again. But we're not going to hold them no longer. We've got
1: one more thing I want to talk about. You better hurry. Okay. Well, I just want to say that um, we've kicked this off. We've been doing really well, um, rebooting the podcast and making our comeback. And we also, like, at the same time, jump-started our weight loss. Oh, Yeah. Um, I'm proud to say that as of today,
0: it is, and
1: we've been doing this. Three uh, we started on the 18th of um, of uh, September, and today is the 15th, 16th. 16th. So we're two days shy of a month, and Josh has lost 31 pounds. 31 pounds, and I have lost 20. Probably 21. Right, 21 actually. Yeah, I would say 21. So yeah. let's combine 52 so pounds in less pounds than a month. In less than a month together. That is like two less center blocks being carried around. That is like four bowling balls. Like I'm telling you, two right bowling now, balls
0: and four center blocks.
1: No, it's it's four medium bowling balls and okay. two center blocks. Yeah, I guess yeah. you are right. 12 twelve pound bowling yeah. ball. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So like, um, you know, if you're if you're like us and you've packed on a little weight and you're Wanting to not carry it around no more for hunting season, don't wait, don't wait. Um, if you want to know what we're doing and you want us to help you out, give us a call. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you what, send us a e- message. Yep. Send us a message. DM, send us a DM on Instagram or email us, or wing email us at Wing Addiction WingAddictionPodcast dot com. No, Wing or at g- Gmail at Gmail Wing Wing Addiction Podcast at Gmail and um we'll talk to you we'll get we'll get on the phone with you and we'll try to get you hooked up with the same thing that we're doing because let me tell you if i can do it anybody can
0: hey everybody we really hope you enjoy the podcast this week mr todd will get you going where you need to go in iowa and listen at these numbers thanks everybody and here we go all righty got you there so I guess Todd has, uh, have you been out in the woods yet or the fields yet? I know it's uh, middle of the, uh, middle of October. I'm sure you've probably done been out chasing something.
3: Oh yeah. I've been out bow hunting and, uh, actually had a mule deer tag in Colorado. So I've been out a little bit, but nice.
1: So,
0: so I don't butcher your last name today. We're talking with Todd. Is it Bogenschutz?
3: Bogenschutz. Yep. Good wow.
1: Job. wow. It's a miracle. He said that correctly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she all the time, has
0: she, she all the time says she has to correct my typing and, and all this, but I, I tell her, it's just auto. I blame it on auto. Well,
1: anyone that knows this knows that <laughs> anyone that listens to this podcast knows that <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Todd Bogan shuts Todd. Uh, tell us your title. You are with the Iowa DNR and what is your government in air quotes title?
3: I am the Upland Game Biologist for the Wildlife Bureau with the DNR.
0: Okay. So I guess you know Printer Gass from Kansas?
3: Yep. Yeah, he would be my counterpart in Kansas. And so, yeah, actually the National Pheasant Meeting was in Ohio last week. And uh, yeah, so Jeff was there along with my counterparts from other various states across the pheasant range. So, yep, know most of them pretty well.
0: Yeah, I talked to Jeff today, he called me and we're, we're going to do a, uh, a podcast with Jeff tomorrow night, basically talking about the same thing we're all going to talk about tonight, something that everybody's wanting to know. And that is what is the numbers like in Kansas and what is the numbers like in Iowa and all these other surrounding states?
1: Well, the funny thing too, is that, and I mean, and no offense to Iowa, but I've never really thought about Iowa that much until this year. I don't know why I have no explanation for it, but I've heard really good things about bird numbers uh, on the interwebs. And so I told Josh, I said, forget Kansas. I want to go to Iowa.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, Kansas beats us, uh, Bob white quail. That's for sure. Um, you know, they got quail statewide. I've only got quail in the Southern third, but, uh, We beat their pheasant harvest last year by about 60,000, 70,000, so uh, yeah, they're a good pheasant state too, but historically it was always Iowa and South Dakota as the top pheasant states in harvest, but you know, we've lost a lot of habitat, so we can't brag that much anymore, but actually I think last season South Dakota was one and we were two.
1: Well, that's great. What are, what um, are y'all doing to try to mitigate that habitat loss
3: issue? Um, well, I mean, basically it all revolves around farm policy and how Mm -hmm. much CRP we got. So I was on a conference call today with some folks, you know, that hopefully can, uh, talk to our congressionals and tell them the importance of CRP. There's a lot of people that want the program to go away, which would be really bad for Iowa and Kansas and the Dakotas. So. hmm
1: And why is that? What's the rationale with wanting it to go away?
3: Um, it's just, you know, kind of the farm groups don't like, you know, you know, taking land out of production. You know, they'd rather sell chemicals and seed and equipment. And so... Mm. They want nice. every acre turned over, so, you know, but that doesn't grow many pheasants and quail and so.
2: Right. So right. who's
0: so who who's winning this battle right now? Are we winning or is the, the the chemical and the farmer's markets winning winning this battle?
3: Well, you know, John Deere and Monsanto and Cargill <laughs> and ADM, they all have deeper pockets than most hunters, so Mhm. for sure
2: yeah so
0: what is compared okay we're talking about crp while we're on that subject uh how many acres do y'all have enrolled in crp in iowa um this year
3: in iowa we're currently sitting at about 1.67 million acres statewide so pretty good number for you know the enrollment in the program um you know historically, CRP's been as high as almost thirty nine million acres nationwide. Wow. Today we're sitting at probably 18 million mm-hmm. in the classic sense. so I mean that's really why bird numbers in Kansas and Iowa have dropped off and the Dakota well across the pheasant range, basically mm-hmm.
0: so that, what yeah. at, at at peak at peak CRP enrollment numbers, what uh, around what years was that and what kind of numbers did that look like?
3: For um, so the peak peak year was nationwide was thirty uh, nine 39 million acres, and that was probably about in the mid to late nineties, um, early two thousands. And so at our peak, we had two point two million acres.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so you're you're looking at five hundred thousand acres less. So you're looking at a drastic. You're looking at thirty percent less CRP now than than in the late nineties, early two thousands.
3: Yeah, I mean, if I've crunched the numbers for Iowa, I think going back to like '95, compare the habitat we have today to back then, and it's basically a strip of habitat that's probably about eight to ten miles wide that would stretch from Omaha to Davenport. It's what we've lost.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's you know uh,
3: just to, just to put that number in perspective to keep give people a visual. So
0: right, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge.
1: Yeah,
3: I've I'm always. Sure, you know, Kansas is probably a similar number like that if they put the numbers together. So, you know, that's the real challenge. You just don't have the places to grow pheasants. We used to have quail for that matter. Mm-hmm.
1: I I have a background in natural resources and land management um, out in Wyoming and Oregon. And um, it always bothered me, you know, that the way things get managed, you know, from Washington the way things seem to go is you know we wait until there's a really bad problem before it gets enough attention and then you know we throw the whole kitchen sink at it and then we drop it again and then we just keep addressing things that way and i, I we see it here in the south with bob white quail you know nobody um it's a hot button topic now and a lot is happening and and thank god for that and the quail numbers are uh looking pretty positive um because of a lot of the habitat projects and a lot of the cutting and burning that that's happening that should have been happening for a long time um so yeah when you when you talk about the crp program it it, kind of sounds like the same mentality you know um let's let's really work on it and let's do all we can to try to build habitat up and then it does well and then it's like all right we need to back off now and we don't have to throw all our funding at that anymore or the deep pockets win because they're not afraid of you know getting sued or environmental groups or or whatever um that's that's just kind of like what it sounds like to me but um am I do you feel the same do you feel like it's just the politics are winning all the
3: time yeah I you know I'd say it's probably just you know a lot of hunters aren't aware of how important like federal farm policy is so you know, I think if a lot more people contacted their congressional[s] and told them we want a strong CRP, you know, I think that definitely would carry weight. But, you know, basically most of the congressional[s] are hearing from, you know, like the John Deere[s] and the crop insurance providers, and and you know, granted, farmers want a strong, you know, safety net. You know, I understand it is a difficult business and stuff too, but, um, you know, truthfully, there's no shortage. Of money in the farm bill it's really about how congress wants to spend it
2: mm-hmm. you know do
3: you want to spend it on crop insurance and payments for when prices are too low or do you want to spend it on conservation you know and to my mind either way we're writing the farmer a check right, mm-hmm. right. It's just, just a matter of what you give them the money for and as mm-hmm. a taxpayer i'd rather give them a conservation payment they can use it to do whatever they want to do with that money, you know, buy more land or fix equipment or buy equipment or whatever. But, you know, as a taxpayer, I get some benefit back out of that, you know, maybe some upland birds that's icing on the cake, but you know, cleaner water, less soil erosion, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just writing a farmer a check for, you know, corn's supposed to be $4 instead of $3. So, you know, we make up the difference. I mean, that helps the farmer, but it doesn't help me a whole lot, you know, as far as hunting or anything. So,
1: right.
0: Yeah. So I guess you've heard um, what they're doing in South Dakota on a, is it called the pathways program or what they're with uh, that Onyx hunt started this year?
3: Yep. Yep. And so they're offering kind of an additional incentive account on the top of their original
2: mm-hmm. kind of
3: CRP access payment, you know, just to kind of do, to kind of give, you know, push landowners over the top. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, historically, CRP, um, USDA surveys landowners and asks them what their average rent is. And Mm -hmm. so they come up for an average in the county and say, so say, just for example, say that the average in a county is, you know, cash rents $100 an acre. Well, that's usually what USDA used to pay in CRP. Well, in the last farm bill, they changed that to so that it would only pay 90% of that or 85% of that.
0: Hmm. Hey, everybody. With the Wing Addiction Podcast, feed our dogs a nook shook professional dog food. With formulas ranging from 2616, 3025, 3232, and their new Marine 16 and Marine 25 formulas, we feed and recommend Shook. If it's good enough for the mushers in Canada, it's definitely good enough for our bird dogs.
3: Check them out at AnukshukPro.com. So now landowners are only getting paid $90 an acre or $85 an acre, depending on what part of the program they're in instead of the hundred mm-hmm. which is the county average so now you know you're asking landowners to do a good thing by being good stewards but now you're going to pay them less than what they can make cropping it
2: mm-hmm. yeah well
3: that that's really a disincentive I mean do we want them to be good stewards or not if we do we should be willing to pay them for it mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. absolutely
3: right <clears throat> um, has our you know, so, so now Congress is saying yeah there's no interest in the program. <laughs> like yeah, but, yeah. You know, When you don't pay them,
0: <laughs> well, yeah. well, has um, have they contacted? Has Onyx has Onyx contacted? Or you might not even know the answer to this question. Have they contacted anybody in Iowa? Because they were going to try to. They said today that uh, they were going to try to branch out and and start this in other states. Had, do you know if they've reached out to Iowa or not?
3: Um, I can't say that for sure. You know, it might not have chick- trickled down the chained to me yet if they have you know my mm-hmm. understanding with South Dakota was it was a first-year pilot
2: mm-hmm. not
3: going to impact a ton of acres um but you know it was a good start and so yeah I could see where that you know would definitely help anytime you know you can kind of make a program more competitive with landowners the easier it is to sell to them
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: right yeah yeah well that's um I was listening to uh um, of course I talked to Ben Bredigan uh not real often, but I talked to him every once in a while and, and they were uh, talking about that program, but I didn't know if they had, Iowa was going to try to jump on that band, uh, ban or not, because, you know, it's every little acres and acre that we didn't have before. So 10,000 acres extra per state's 10,000 acres, any way you look at it. So, uh, hopefully, you know, and hopefully there'll be other people get on this wagon besides on eggs. you know, I, you know, I'd like to see quail forever, pheasants forever, rough grouse society, no matter, you know, no matter where they're at, um, try to, you know, take, do these same things. And if we can get all these conservation groups working together, not the same effort, you know, we can make a huge impact across the landscape, but, uh, you know, you know, that's neither here nor there, but we'll see in a couple of years how this pilot program worked up there. And, uh, hopefully they'll move into all states. But, uh, the reason we're here tonight, Todd, and the reason everybody's listening to the podcast is they're wanting to know, what kind of numbers can we expect when we go to Iowa? So uh, Andy Edwards is uh, getting on here with me in a few days, so he's going to give me the lowdown also. So I'm going to see if yours and Andy's numbers match up the same. So don't be <laughs> pulling our leg trying to discourage us from coming up there. Let's uh, let's just let the uh, people know. Let's start off with the uh, let's start off with the lesser um, number uh, bird in Iowa. Or I guess you would say it's not really the reason people go to Iowa, but, uh, what about your quail, your bobwhite quail? I know it's the lower third of the state. What kind of numbers uh, are we looking at this year on the nesting counts and versus the roadside counts versus traditional or historical data?
3: So, yeah. So on our quail, you know, um, basically we're no change from last year. They're about the same numbers. You know, our Southern third is the best, um, south-central and southwest is where I'd steer people uh, wanting to look for quail. You know, we're averaging anywhere from about two to three birds a route down there on quail in those regions, and so that's our our best numbers from a roadside survey. Um, you know, last year, I think we harvested around probably 40,000 birds statewide. So, you know, given that our roadside counts are similar, you know, I'd expect our harvest to probably be in that same ballpark again.
0: Mm-hmm. Now give me, let's get this in perspective, 40,000 birds last year. <clears throat> give me your numbers just to estimate, cause you probably don't have them right in front of you. What was your quail numbers like 10 years ago?
2: Uh,
3: 10 years ago, we were probably just a little bit better. Um, You know, we had some really good numbers from 2015 to 2018. And so we probably approached 100,000 bird harvest then and our counts were up around, you know, probably four to six birds are out down there. And so quite honestly, we got higher than I thought we could with the habitat we did today. But I think we just had couple really good winters and nesting seasons back to back and Uh let the birds really so i mean you know i had uh i think it was about 2016 2015 i had a hunter call me from southern iowa and told me that he moved like six cubbies in a mile of road ditch and I'm like six Holy cubbies. smokes. <laughs> I'm like you, you know I'm like okay I'm not I'm not calling you a liar because I was never there but I mean that's like sixty birds if you figure ten oh, birds yeah. in a cubby I mean I'm like that's pretty good numbers but um
0: oh yeah that's 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 great numbers. So so what was your what is as far as the rainfall are y'all in a uh, in a drought extreme drought are y'all pretty um, par for rain this time of year and how about the nesting conditions and and the cover for the nesting season this year how did it look
3: um, we had a really good winter. We should add good overwinter survival. We didn't have much winter down there, so we should have brought all the birds through the winter in good shape, especially the hens, the important ones. And, but we were in a drought. I mean, we opened up a lot of our CRP to hang and, uh, Ooh. you know, we're like eight to 10 inches below normal, I think at this point in the year. So it was a dry nesting season for us. So, you know, I was kind of expecting quail numbers to jump like pheasant numbers did, but, They didn't. And so, yeah, you know, quail tend to tolerate the moisture a little bit better Mm -hmm. uh, than pheasants and tend to do well, you know, when we're kind of around average to above average, but Mm -hmm. not so much when we go below average. So, Mm -hmm. my guess would be we just didn't quite have as good a nesting success, didn't have the bugs that the chicks needed. And so we just didn't see the production.
2: Mm -hmm. Now,
3: on pheasants and huns, they usually tend to show the opposite trend when we're dry they do well and when we're Mm -hmm. wet they don't do as well and so you know our pheasants and huns were up and our quail were basically no change so right that's good they didn't go down you know i think a little bit tougher year last year compared to you know what i was referencing like 2015 to 2018 i mean hunters were really happy with the quail they were moving in Iowa those years but you know we had a bad winter in 1819 just kind of normal the next year and then another bad winter again after that and so last year we bounced back a little bit and I was hoping this year we'd bounce back more but basically like I said we're basically no change so
0: yeah so if 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 I'm Joe Hunter from uh south carolina and i'm wanting to come to iowa to target quail um you would say the southwest south central and southern southeastern regions the bottom third of the state would be my my best bet
3: yeah and i would steer people to the south central and southwest because our accounts are pretty poor in the southeast so mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and 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 is that just because of the habitat differences the changes in the habitat
3: uh, Southeast, we had, they had a really severe winter, uh, two years ago, like ice that a person could walk on and, oh. uh, that was brutal on quail. And then they, they actually had some pretty good flooding following that the following year. And so, yeah, the numbers there just got really knocked back. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, we have decent habitat over there. They can have pretty decent quail over there. And I'm not saying there isn't quail over there cause there is, but mm-hmm you have to put a lot of miles on to find them. So mm-hmm. South central and Southwest are probably better bets. You know, mm-hmm. um, half a day of hunting, you should be able to move two or three coveys over in that region. So.
0: Mm-hmm. So I talked to printer today, like I was telling you, and he said that he was with you last week in Ohio. Um, and printer grass listens to all these all of our podcasts. So let's go ahead and, uh, let's, uh, let's do a little sparring match here between iowa and kansas if a man's got a great bird a great flusher what state would todd rather go hunting in iowa or kansas cable gangs cable gangs is your one-stop shop for premium tie outs for all sporting dogs one dog or 20 they have a system for you whether it's a single dog stakeout or a multi-dog cable gang They also offer endless customization so you can get a system that fits your needs for your dogs. Also, check out their force fetch system, quick-release tie-outs for retrievers, and impact-reducing roading rigs. Cablegangs.com with a Z. That's C-A-B-L-E-G-A-N-G-Z.com. That's Cablegangs.
3: Uh, if you want strictly quail, uh, you know, Jeff told me they shot 400,000 last year, we shot 40,000. So,
2: Sheesh.
3: um, you know, that's statewide perspective, but you know, I'm, you know, we offer some good spots of hunting, probably as good as Kansas. Just, we don't have as many of those spots as, as Kansas does. So
0: if I'm, if I'm, if I'm chasing those, the uh, long tail birds that cackle when they fly, where am I going to Kansas or Iowa?
3: Well, we beat Kansas last year by almost a hundred thousand, seventy thousand or so. So I would say Iowa's got uh, Kansas beat in that regard.
0: Okay. Well, I
1: say we go to both.
0: It's a draw. It's a draw right now. We got one. We got a. We got a. We got a, a, a tiebreaker here. If I want to go, kill Hungarian partridge. Where am I going?
3: Well, since how Kansas doesn't have any, you'd have to come to Iowa.
2: (laughs) Printer
0: gas, you heard that? Yeah, I told Printer Gas that I'm not going to make it out this year. I said I think I'm going to go to Iowa, and he said, "Oh, I know how. I see how you are now." He said, "I see where we fall on the totem pole out here." But uh, my wife Leslie, she loves to shoot those dang pheasants.
1: That's because I'm not as quick on the draw as as the guys I hunt with. So. They fly a little slower, makes it a little easy. And they're a little larger. The target's larger. Yeah. I was just going to yep. say earlier, I got to go where the numbers are good because I got to get as many chances to shoot one as possible.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to try to head up to Iowa this fall. Um, <clears throat> Todd, I don't want to, I don't like every hot spot. Give me three, give me a the biggest city in the Southwest, the biggest city in the South central and the biggest town or city in the southeast what i'm basically looking at is saying here's a good starting point and i'm not talking about the towns of the highest densest number of populations just where is th- uh, uh, a big city a in each of those yeah city. a good base camp for each of those central okay loca- or each of those locations
3: um you know probably around mount air and south central mm-hmm. um when you go over to the southwest i mean Boy, they're spread out through there, all through there. I don't know if I could pick out one city in particular, but... um,
0: What's the biggest city in the southwest zone?
3: Oh, Atlantic would be one. I would kind of rotate rotate my uh, hunting maybe more to the south of Atlantic than to the north. Right. Right. And then... And then over in the southeast, we have a large uh, army corps of engineers reservoir called Lake Rathbin. I mean, that's kind of where I would probably focus in the southeast, but
2: mm-hmm.
3: like I said, I probably wouldn't steer a lot of people there, but they're yeah. they're so quiet over there.
0: Yeah, you I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Being a podcaster and a bird hunter, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I have people all the time telling me, say, you know, I listen to this podcast and they're in their numbers. Uh, their number counts or roadside counts and stuff. And they say the, you know, this region, this region, this region, you know, that regions, those regions are huge. I mean, where that's, you know, a three or 400 mile radius, you know, could they give us like a, maybe a town. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Just uh, not, not because, um, uh, well, to be honest with you, the first year I ever went to Kansas, somebody told me the uh, uh, North central region. And I thought to myself, well, there's not even a town in the North Central region. I mean, there's these little, <laughs> I guess you would say towns. I mean, like, give me a starting point. I mean, what are you calling the North Central region? Are you calling Hayes the North Central region? Or are you calling, you know, the Flint Hills North Central region? Or are you calling Wichita the North, you know, where to so that just gives a, uh, this gives our listeners a little bit more of a pinpoint of what you're calling, you know, the Southeast, you know, this around this area, the South Central is around this area and the Southwest is around that area. Well, um, I think our listeners, if they're, if they're wanting the quail numbers in Iowa, they kind of, you know, know what to expect and they kind of have a starting point of what region to go to. Let's move on to the next bird now, Todd, I guess it's the, uh, um, of the Iowa upland games. It's the most popular and, Uh, iowa used to be the state and everybody knows this back in the 80s iowa used to be the place to go to kill pheasants so what does your pheasant numbers look like in the great state of iowa right now todd
3: well we came up about 15 percent from last year and so kind of tying our best counts since well we got to go back to 2015 to kind of tie where we are this year and Back to 2007 prior to 2015, so, you know, we got pretty good bird numbers. Uh, Our hunters, you know, gave me really good reports from last fall, and the counts are a bit higher than they were a year ago, so we're shaping up to have another pretty good fall, I'm estimating we should be in the 300 to 400,000 rooster range for our harvest this year, just depends on the number of hunters we have.
0: Oh, wow yeah okay so let's break it down by regions you got six regions that the pheasants are uh, well i guess you would basically say that's nine regions you got the uh the central states the northern states and the southern states um what would be your uh, what's the go-to region as far as number counts this year as far as your highest number counts what regions are hitting a hot spot in Iowa?
3: Um, you know, generally our core pheasant range is all pretty good. Um, you know, if you go to our website, I've got the map with the numbers and then I create a thunderstorm map, which kind of shows the hot spots in the state. You know, I also produce that for quail. And so that's generally where I steer people, you know, when they want to know where to go is just take a look at those thunderstorm maps and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of dials in the numbers a little bit more for them. But, Mm -hmm. um, You know, up in the northwest, we averaged almost 40 birds a route. I mean, if you move across northern Iowa, then we're 31. In the north central, we're at uh, 27 in the northeast. If you drop down toward Omaha, we're at 27 a route. If you come over to central Iowa by me, we're at just shy 26 a route. I mean, so basically all those regions, you know, if there's decent habitat on the ground you should be able to move pheasants without too much trouble at all.
0: Now I keep hearing you saying on a route, tell our listeners, uh, how long is your roadside count routes?
3: So our routes are uh, 30 miles long. They're all Mm -hmm. on gravel roads and we have two per County. Mm -hmm. So we've been running these since the 1930s, a form of this survey. And so we've got a long history with it. And, uh, yeah, we just basically run the same routes, uh, Under the same weather conditions by the same staff, uh, each year. And so gives me a really good index to what the population's doing. You know, it's impossible to to count all the pheasants out there. They're just too good at hiding. But uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the survey lets me predict my harvest usually plus or minus a hundred thousand. Um so it does track pretty well what the populations are doing and how they're distributed. So, you know, there's always, like I said, we drive two routes in a County, so it's not like we drive the entire County. I mean, we've got two random routes and uh, you know, what it's basically what the numbers are basically telling us is, you know, generally in that region, um, you know, if you can find good pheasant habitat, you know, there should be some pretty decent birds. Um, But you know, there's always, local hailstorms and local rain events that can flood out nests or kill birds and you know mm-hmm. and even in an area we say is good so
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know we can't like i said we can't track every acre out there and know what's going on but um
0: well i i've heard you know in iowa and tell our listeners if this is correct or not in iowa you can actually hunt the roadside ditches is that correct
3: Yep. Yeah. Our pub, our road ditches are considered public land. And so from, yeah, the edge of the road to the fence is, is, uh, open to public hunting for pheasant, quail, or huns. Um, you know, if you shoot a bird and it falls on the other side of the fence, you have to set your gun down, but you do have a right to go over there and retrieve, you know, that bird. <coughs> so, yeah, we have a lot of people take advantage of, you know, the fact that our road ditches are basically public land.
0: Mm -hmm. now so you don't have i know here in tennessee we can't shoot a gun within 300 feet of the center line of the road so that that you don't have that in iowa i guess do you or is is the road ditches only on the gravel roads or how does that work
3: no it applies to any roads but i obviously wouldn't suggest hunting along an interstate or a four highway or anything like that but
2: uh
3: Mm -hmm. um so most of it probably occurs on our gravel and mud roads and Mm -hmm. uh yeah there's no restrictions on um shooting you know from the road we obviously mm-hmm. encourage folks to probably be in the ditch rather than on the correct, road correct. you've always got to look for um you know vehicles and be cognizant of that
0: right um, Yes.
3: our only rules related to that is you can't shoot within 200 yards of an of a dwelling or right. you know a building with livestock
0: right correct yeah whether you're there or whether you're wanting to get there know where you're at or where you're going with onyx hunt check us out at onyxhunt.com well that's uh that that's that's good to know like i said leslie and i are gonna make our trips to iowa this year so when does Iowa season open and close i think it the pheasant season opens toward the end of this month am i correct
3: Yep. Yeah. We've got standardized seasons. So hunters can plan, you know, I'd, we'd always get folks calling us saying, when's your season going to open next year? And so we just standardized it so that people can plan 10 years from now. Our season always opens the last Saturday in October, whatever day that is and runs mm-hmm. through January 10th and uh quail season opens the same day last Saturday in October. Um, it runs a little bit longer, runs to the end of January.
0: And the bag limits on pheasants in Iowa? Uh,
3: the daily bag on pheasants is three, and so your possession limit is 12 or four days limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the daily possession on quail is eight, and the possession limit would be two limits or mm-hmm. 16.
0: Right. Okay. Now, we've not talked anything about the Huns. The Huns are working their way into Iowa here. It uh, Was that more in the northwest region of Iowa?
3: Yeah, they like the northwest and north central. I mean, they're a bird of kind of the short steppe region over in Asia. So think of it as high desert. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where they tend to do the best for us, where we don't have trees. And that's mostly, you know, up north where we have intensive farming. Mm -hmm. It's also tends to be the drier part of Iowa. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, they tend to do best when we have drought years. And this Mm -hmm. is a drought year. And so, yeah, our counts were up. Uh, 43 percent statewide oh wow Um, so yeah they made a nice bump and uh yeah our better counts are coming from northwest and north central and and central iowa which is kind of the areas that they always tend to show the best numbers in Mm -hmm. um they're challenging to hunt here because they basically don't seek out cover like pheasants and quail do they tend to just hang out out in the stubble fields and
2: Mm -hmm. then the plowed
3: fields and so (laughs) we have a lot of them (laughs) them in iowa a lot of acres of that and you know not a ton of huns and so
0: (laughs) well that's 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 one of those birds i guess you trip over or or you point on accident walking back to the truck across the fields
3: that's pretty much yeah usually they're kind of a anecdotal bird to somebody pheasant hunting. they just happen to bump a covey maybe walking from a ditch to a or a waterway over to a CRP field or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, any of our locals that really want to target them, they usually wait until we have, you know, a good snow cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can drive the back roads and just glass for them. You know, they tend to covey up much like quail in groups of, you know, 10 to 15. And so when you get that first, you know, three to five to six inches of snow, you know, if you're willing to put some miles on, you can sometimes spot the coveys out in the field and then it's just a matter of of uh you know knocking on the door and getting some permission and then seeing if you can get within gun range of them
0: <laughs> as you and i was talking last week or maybe it was was week before last time he was telling me about the uh, dog pointing out in the middle of the field he's like what in the world is this and then you just happen you know just by happenstance up comes a covey of huns and he's like i was not ready i did not have a clue what this dog was pointing mm-hmm. and here comes a covey of huns up the middle of the field
3: yeah happened happened exactly that way i'd hunted a little piece of crp and put the dog on heel to go to the next one and keep her close and halfway across she just spun and pointed you know and i'm walking in plowed dirt and i'm looking out there and i'm like what the heck are you doing dog there ain't nothing out there and you know Made her heel up again, started walking up, busts a couple of hunts and flies away. And I'm like, well, you dummy, you could have actually shot at them. (laughs) So now,
0: uh, so you hunt with a flusher or you hunt with a pointing dog?
3: Uh, I hunt with pointers. I hunt with a draw hair.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got a a buddy of mine. He loves, he's got draw hairs. He loves them. We got, we got short hairs and wire hairs and we just recently, because of leslie's fetish with killing these darn pheasants bought us a cocker so uh we've got a little fireball that's about 12 13 weeks old right now that just loves to retrieve and loves to get in that thick brush so when we come to iowa maybe we'll have a little cocker with us do you see a lot of hunters and a lot of what you would call just pheasant hunters in iowa do you see them Uh, is the number of hunters hunting with flushers versus pointers about even, or do you say the pendulum swinging one way or the other in Iowa with those pheasant hunters?
3: Uh, You know, I'd say probably, there's probably a few more people that hunt with flushers. You know, we don't do any actually surveys on it. You know, I can just speak to going to pheasant fest events and our Mm -hmm. state convention here. And yeah, you know, they're always ribbing each other back and forth, but um, (laughs) I mean, short hairs are really popular. Labs are really popular. Uh, The droth hairs and wire hairs have really taken off in recent years, even like the wire haired griffons and, uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: you know, even some of the spinones and stuff like that. But, you know, there's also, you know, I'd say more in the quail range, you tend to see maybe a few more of the setters, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, uh, you know, English setters, you know, pointer for pointers for quail too. you know, with quail, you tend to have to cover a lot of ground because, you know, the bird densities aren't as high, you know, whereas Pheasants, you know, you can you can go into a 40 acre field and probably move 20, 30 birds, um, you know, if it's good habitat. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to cover the ground that you may need to, you know, just to find quail cubbies. So Mm -hmm. just kind of a little bit different mix. But um, yeah, I mean, I see, you know, hunters successful with both pointers and flushers here. You know, I think it's all about, you know, having your dog and having a little bit of training and and knowing what kind of cover, you know, you need to work. Mm-hmm. um don't see so much of the of the cockers i just think because we got pretty tall rank native grasses and they tend to be short legs so
2: mm-hmm.
3: um you know i'm not saying i don't see him because i got a buddy in the office that hunts with one you know and he shoots pheasants and ducks with his and you know he does just fine but some, you know you get into some switchgrass or cattails and it gets gets pretty rank and uh so you know you tend to see on the flusher side of it you know, you tend to see a little bit more of the Springer's, mm-hmm. um, just a little bit taller, you know, and can take that abuse because I mean, some of our native grasses, you know, they're waist to shoulder high and uh, they're pretty coarse. And I mean, even on the Labs and the in the Drawthers, I mean, you hunt two or three days steady with them. I mean, they're going to be hairless on their nose and their mm-hmm. hairs going to be worn off their paws and bleeding, and um, it's pretty coarse stuff. And so just tend to see kind of what I call the mid stature dogs, probably more than some of the smaller dogs, mm-hmm. um, but I see them all
0: right now in, in Iowa, what is y'all's regulation on hunting crop fields? If it's, uh, uh, is it, uh, now y'all have what they call, uh, do y'all have, Wehar, I have, what do y'all have in, in, uh, in Iowa, as far as your walk-in hunting areas?
3: Yep. And so we have about 300,000 acres statewide that's uh, that we own and manage, uh, mm-hmm. wildlife management areas.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then we do have a walk-in program. Ours is called IHAP. have uh, okay. stands for Iowa Habitat and Access Program.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, it's pretty much targeted to CRP. And, uh, you know, we try to encourage the landowners to do food plots and good cover on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, you know, theoretically managed as good as our public lands are managed. And so it's available on our hunting online hunting atlas um Mm -hmm. if you go to our website and so yeah those are really good areas to hunt both our public walk or our public you know land that we manage and own as well as our walk-in um as far as hunting private land in Iowa um you know we've got really receptive landowners generally and it's one of the Mm -hmm probably big comments I get from a lot of our non-residents is how friendly our landowners can be. And so, um, well, that's good. you know, not everybody's going to say yes. Cause some of them have family that hunt or they uh-huh. have friends that come from out of state, but, uh, yeah, I encourage people to knock on doors and, you know, bring some cheese or, you know, some apples or whatever, you know, something that's unique to your state and share that with the landowners. Um,
2: mm-hmm. but
3: yeah, I mean, If you're going to hunt public land, you need permission, whether it's posted or not.
1: Dakota 283 kennels are molded and assembled in the USA. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Check them out today at Dakota283.com.
3: You know, and if landowners are fine with you hunting the crop fields and stuff, then they'll let you know it. I mean, if they don't want you to, they'll, they'll let you know it. You know, generally once the crops are out, you know, most landowners will let you hunt anywhere. I mean, if mm-hmm. you got standing crops, then they can be a little bit, uh, you know, more particular about it until they get it harvested.
0: Now on your public lands, like your IHAP and your um, your WMAs, if they're standing crops, can you hunt standing crops in Iowa?
3: Generally on our public lands and our walking areas, yes. Okay, There's no cool. restrictions on that. I mean, we do some crop leases on some of our WMAs, you know, where the mm-hmm. tenant will come and, you know, that we'll have them do 20 acres and they'll leave five acres for a food plot, but they understand when they sign that lease, you know, that there could be some hunters in there. So yeah, there's no restrictions when it comes to our IHAP or our WMAs.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. I know Kansas, there's uh, uh there's no hunting standing, uh, standing crops in Kansas. So if, uh, it don't matter if it's, you know, we or um, or WMA or what it is in Kansas, if state property, if they're standing crops, you can't hunt it in Kansas. So that's a, that's a, that's actually a huge difference because when we go to Kansas and, we're fortunate For
1: opening enough, weekend, yeah, and we're haven't cut yet,
0: yeah. And we're fortunate enough to have some private ground to hunt on in Kansas, which I'm a big public lands man, Leslie, both are big public lands hunters. But we do hunt some private ground, and man, you find so many more birds and standing crops than you do, you know, Milo fields, it's stubble fields, it's been cut and stuff. But, um, so
2: that's well, good to know. the Iowa. birds
1: were they were in those areas, right? Because the cover was better, so yeah um you know when you're in fields that are adjoining fields that haven't been cut yet then you know it was tough but
0: yeah uh, yeah we'd find a quarter section that you might might have had uh you know 25 percent of it standing crop and the other 75 percent cut well you know where all those birds are going to be they're going to be no standing crops so or on the edges you know all upland species are edge birds so but
1: and it was dry and we didn't have a well we had flushers
0: eventually but we didn't yeah last yeah last year when we went out there we did have flushers with us but year before we went out there and just never took flushers with us and it was so dry and it was just it was rough in Kansas but anyways um well that's great so y'all uh you said you had 300,000 acres approximately of wildlife management area which is that's huge uh does you find that pretty evenly distributed from north to south you know east and west all over Iowa
3: Yeah. I mean, we've pretty much got public land in, in all portions of the state. I mean, we've got a lot of grassland wetland areas up in the Northwest, North central, central region. It's a prairie pothole region. And so a lot of wetland restoration there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you kind of trickle East to the Mississippi or down to the Southern border with Missouri there, you know, we get a lot more timber in that part of the state. And so, you know, we've got some state forest and, uh, you know there's a lot more shrubby stuff down there so that you know that's why you have quail and and rabbits down there just because you you know that's the habitat they prefer and so you know i'd say down in there your public land's gonna you know some of it's gonna be you know state forest so it's more deer turkey habitat not really what you would call pheasant habitat but then you know we do have some upland areas you know they're mostly grassland you know probably some timber on it some brush you know so Mm -hmm. better quail and and uh you know, rabbit cottontail country than it is maybe deer and turkey, but, um, yeah, so it's kind of a mix. Like I said, uh, all those areas are shown on our hunting atlas on our website, you know, which you can bring up on your phone and, and, uh, you know, see all those plus our IHAPs are up there as well. Our walk-ins.
0: Mm-hmm. What about late season hunting in Iowa? I know, um, it closes in Iowa, you said January the 10th, pheasant, correct? Correct. Uh,
3: closes January 10th and quail closes January 31st funds um, close January 31st too
0: mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's like any other state that's got the pheasants the the first snow and I was the magic time to be there
3: yeah if you can time it you know the you know the the crop harvest is going good this year I mean it's early because we're in drought so you know, probably half our crops are out already and the fields are worked. And so I expect by the end of the month when the season opens, it's, you know, and that's going to push all the birds into the remaining habitat, which is, you know, our road ditches and our public areas and our walk-ins where we've got CRP and stuff. And so I'm expecting it's going to be a good opener. It's kind of the same scenario we had last year and people did really well. And so, but, you know, a couple of weeks in the season, the birds get wise to the pressure and they're, perfectly fine with moving out into the stubble fields and staying there all day and you know maybe mm-hmm. coming to cover you know at night and so or they might just stay in the stubble fields 24 7 until the weather pushes them back in and so mm-hmm. usually around thanksgiving time you know into early december when we finally get that first snow covers the ground of course you know that turns the background white And then they can't sit out there in the plowed ground because they stand out like a sore thumb. And, you know, they're kind of forced to come back to some of the cover areas. And so, yeah, you can have some pretty good hunting when, if you know, if you can time the first uh, decent snowfall, um, you know, a day or two after that, the birds get back into cover. And it's kind of more like what you saw on opening day again. And, uh, you know, you can have some good hunting for a week or two until they get you know, wise to the hunting pressure again. And so you're getting into late season then. And so the challenge then is (laughs) having them get up in gun range, you know, because the birds are still still alive, know the routine. And I've seen a lot of car doors slammed and watch a whole bunch of birds get up 200 yards away and fly away. And you're like, well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a golden rule in, in, in any kind of upland hunting, close your door quietly.
3: Yep. I don't even use whistles, don't talk, you know, tried it you know, late season, even then it's still a challenge. Those birds have, have done the routine, you know, as far as when to come, I get that question a lot. Um, you know, a lot of people want to stay away from opening weekend because, you know, it probably is our busiest weekend of the year, the first week. And, you know, but I can tell folks from our hunting surveys, um, pretty much like clockwork, Um, 30 percent of the roosters we harvest this year will be dead in the first nine days
0: wow
3: yeah so you know and then probably another oh i want to say close to 50 percent of the birds will be probably harvested by december 1st so the month of november Mm-hmm. And you know the last twenty five percent are harvested in December and that first week in January. So you can wait till the end of the season. We still have birds, but realize that sixty percent of the roosters that were probably available to shoot are already in somebody's freezer. So. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so so what's Todd's favorite? I want to ask you this, Todd. What's your favorite bird to hunt in Iowa?
3: Oh, I mean, I'm the I'm the pheasant guy the upland guy I mean I love hunting pheasants it's kind of what I grew up doing and so uh didn't really quail hunt till I came here much and I mean I love quail hunting too but um I don't know you know if I had to pick it's it's hard to beat pheasants um, spent a lot of time hunting rough grouse oh
0: yeah that's you
3: know, that's I, I love I hunting, hunting grouse they freaky. they eat really well I mean quail eat really well too you know I'd say as far as an eating bird it's probably rough grouse, quail and pheasants in my book, mm-hmm. you know, and then you kind of go off to Hans and some of the prairie grouse and sharp tails. you know, they're not quite as good eating, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just love, you know, kind of the upland birds, those species, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I love to turkey hunt and I deer hunt and I've duck hunted and chased elk, but I guess, you know, I like following the bird dog after pheasants. you know, they're a colorful oh. bird. They cackle.
0: Mm-hmm. that's leslie's favorite I part just, that i kaki. like
1: the interaction i mean turkey is the same thing right i love turkey hunting too that's my two favorite is pheasant hunting and turkey hunting she likes the interaction with like the dogs yeah. with the pheasant hunting you know I, I love the dogs i love the cackle i the colors you know the whole experience and and with turkeys to me it's the same thing it's interactive you know hearing the birds and everything uh rough grouse uh, <laughs> i like it but man oh man are they tough like geez i i've got to work on my reflexes and
0: she and she usually it. has a shot off before she gets the gun out of like her shoulder
1: from the hip because i can't even get it. it's a it's a disaster but i'm working on it
3: so what yeah rough grouse or not the bird to perfect your shooting form because they'll about (laughs) destroy it but I grew up in uh, upstate New York and uh, we didn't have a lot of pheasants. we had some but I mostly duck hunted as a kid and then rough grouse were the thing that were everywhere and yeah, I used to refer to them as indestructible little chickens because I'd probably flush 40, 50 a year and shoot maybe five or 10. <laughs> well, that makes home. me
1: feel better.
0: Yeah, for sure.
3: So what? So what's Todd's favorite way to cook a pheasant? Um, you know, me and the wife keep it simple. You know, I do smoke them. And the apple would smoke and I've got a maple brown sugar brine and I mean, it's what I give to all my landowners and nobody turns it away. Everybody loves it, but (laughs) that takes a bunch of effort to smoke stuff, brining, you know, it's a couple day process, but Mm -hmm. just to cook them. I mean, we just, I breast most of my birds and take the thighs. And so we just cut it up an inch, inch cubes, um, cook some bacon till it's crispy, take it out, put the pheasant right in that bacon grease, you know, and it takes a couple minutes aside. You just want to turn them white on the outside and then, Just pour some uh, cream of mushroom soup in there, cream of celery, probably doesn't really matter. We used cream of mushroom and a little bit of seasoning salt, not much. Um, Take the bacon and break it on top, Mm. put that on rice or noodles. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, we we get home from work and you can have that cranked out in like 20 minutes, thaw the birds and, you know, we're eating and so well
0: todd my wife and i are on a diet right now we've lost 50 pounds <laughs> in the past three and a half well, weeks between. For you.
3: we're both
1: drooling but we're drooling
0: talking. right now as you're talking about this pheasants cooked in bacon grease mushroom great or we, yeah we, well cream and mushroom that oh that's we nasty.
1: always eat what we kill and and uh you know you can cook it healthy you know if you want to but i'm uh
0: I like to cook it where it's I'm good. have a
1: good cheat day with some bacon grease. I can see it. I'm future.
0: trying to get her. To, we can eat all kinds of, well, we, this diet, we're on, we eat a lot of green, green stuff, green vegetables. And I have been trying to get her to cook me some, a buddy of mine was on the same diet and he lost a hundred pounds from February to June. And he said, uh, all the green he ate was, well, he ate it every night. He said his mom would cook him a head of cabbage, uh, about twice a week and she would cook it in bacon grease. And then. Just put the bacon bits in after she cooked the cabbage down. And I've been trying to get Leslie to do this. And she's like, gosh, there's no way we can lose weight if we cook that bacon grease. Any bacon and lose
1: weight. But anyway, whatever.
0: But yeah. Well, listen, Todd, is there anything that Iowa's got uh, in new regulations this year that hunters should know that's traditionally come to Iowa that might not know?
3: Um, probably the biggest thing would be, you know, on some of our public areas, you know, they're waterfowl, especially up north. I mean, that is some of our better pheasant range. So you're gonna be hunting right next to wetlands. And so, you know, obviously we don't want lead shot going into the wetlands. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the areas up there require non-toxic shot Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and they'll be posted as such and it is listed on our website if if folks want to see you know where those areas are we do maintain a list of them statewide um Mm -hmm. when you go to our walk-in program areas um you know they're mostly upland crp and so you know you can use lead shot there, non-toxic either one um Mm -hmm. you know a lot of our areas in southern iowa you know they're forest and brush and you know kind of the upland mix and so a lot of those you know you can use lead or non-toxic so Mm-hmm. you know, if people are worried, you know, and don't want to, you know, worried about not having the right stuff in the right place. You know, I just recommend, well, then you should probably just get, you know, your favorite non-toxic and go with that. And then,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, it doesn't matter where you go, but you know, there's people that like to reload and shoot their own loads. And so then I'm like, well, then you just got to pay attention to where you can use lead and where you can't.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, now is your waterfowl areas up north Are they actually, is it, do y'all consider those WPAs waterfowl production areas?
3: Yep. We've got uh, a lot of waterfowl production areas that are actually owned by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't have a staff here in Iowa, so our staff manage them.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, You know, and the management is not really any different than our WMAs, our wildlife Mm -hmm. management areas. Mm -hmm. You know, those are areas that we bought and manage. And so they're basically managed, basically very similar Um, food plots, fire you know native grasses and stuff and obviously we do a little management on the wetlands too but
2: Mm -hmm.
3: they're all signed as public lands those are all on our hunting atlases and uh so
0: they listed as uh, waterfowl production areas in your hunting atlas yep yeah if you
3: click on them it'll it'll show you you know their signs are uh are a green colored you know the waterfowl production areas that the fish and Mm -hmm. wildlife service puts up and then we have our kind of standard uh, DNR signs that we put up. And then our IHAPs are kind of an orange sign, mm-hmm. our walk-in program. So, but that's all shown on our website too.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: I was kind of unique. We actually do have a county conservation board system. So every county's got like its own mini DNR. And so the county conservation boards are supposed to focus on recreation within their county. And so they make lakes for fishing and parks for camping and, uh, you know, some recreational trails, but they also do have upland areas and forested Mm -hmm. areas that they allow hunting in. Oh, okay. And so, um, we have all those listed on our hunting Atlas as well.
0: So no matter where you go in Iowa, there's going to be a little piece of land that you, that you're able to upland hunt on no matter what county you go to.
3: Yep. That's correct.
0: That's, that's pretty unique and that's pretty awesome. Um, I want to tell all the listeners, um, there's no pheasants anywhere around waterfowl production area, so don't go, don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Those are, those are for ducks only. There's no pheasants live there. (laughs) Todd, is there anything you'd like the listeners to know about Iowa DNR before we get off
3: here? Um, You know, I'd say go to the website. You can go to uh, iowadnr.gov slash pheasant survey and you can look at the roadside report like I said the thunderstorms maps you know if you want to know how pheasants are distributed or quail or huns or cottontails uh, those maps are what I'd clue people into they can read the whole report there and of course our hunting atlas is on the website Um, you know folks ask about bringing dogs to the state you know are as far as that goes you know just have your current Uh, You know, vaccinations and stuff in the glove box. You don't have to carry them with you, you know, but you may be asked to produce them if you're stopped. Um, And we do require hunter orange. um, If you're hunting upland game birds, pheasants, quail or huns, you know, we just want everybody to be safe. And so.
0: Is there a minimum minimum required inches on that, or is it just a, a hat or a hat and a vest? Yeah,
3: hat or vest is what we recommend, okay. you know, especially okay. if you're hunting like standing crops. And like I said, our native grasses can be, you know, shoulder high. And so if you're a vertically challenged person, you know, maybe all we can <laughs> see is just the top of your head if you're lucky. So
0: well, those vertically challenged people make good flushers also.
3: Yep. That's true. Good
0: retrievers, good retrievers. Well, Todd, it has been an absolute blast talking to you and I hope that we've gave our listeners a good starting point on where to go find their favorite upland bird in Iowa. Um, whether it be a pheasant, um, quail, or even a Hungarian partridge, um, we know they're, they're coming on in Iowa and we hope that uh, everyone's enjoyed the podcast and Todd, we have really enjoyed having you on and thanks for taking the time out. I know you probably get requests all the time to do these and I really want to uh, thank you for coming on and, and giving us your time and maybe in the next month or so, Leslie and I might be hitting you up to, uh, show us one of those, show us one of those good ditches that hold a lot of those chickens in them. So, uh, we, uh, I just bought me a hat a few months ago. It says, I love hunting ditch chickens and I'll be darned. I've got, I've got a 16 year old son that took it the day after I got it. And so I I, I never got to wear the darn thing, but once, but, uh, no, Todd, it's been great having you on the podcast. And, uh, if there's anything we can ever do for you, just let us know, bud.
3: Nope uh just encourage all the listeners go to the website i mean my contact information is there if uh, people need questions and all of our local wildlife managers you know i steer a lot of people to them Mm -hmm. um you know like people want to come hunt quail i encourage them to call our managers down there because they're uh they're on the areas you know throughout the year i'm i'm located in central iowa and yeah i'm the statewide biologist do our surveys but uh you know, they're actually the boots on the ground that are managing the areas and they give pretty good information. I mean, as well as our officers in the county, too. Those are two really good resources if it's your first time to the, to the state of Iowa. You know, if you're looking for places to stay or camp, they can put you all in, the, in a very good direction. And so, definitely encourage hunters to, to you know, use those resources as well.
0: Well, Todd, you really make it sound like a very friendly state with great landowners. And I'm sure after uh, listeners listen to this podcast, we'll have a few of them uh, try to get in touch with you and and come up your way. But uh, nothing else, Todd, it's good talking to you. And we will talk to you maybe again next year or maybe even before. Maybe we'll do a podcast when we come up to Iowa, get together and do a podcast. But if not, we'll definitely talk to you next year and uh, get those 2024 numbers coming in
3: yeah that'd be great i mean if you guys do make it to iowa you know give me a shout i always like to hear how hunters do and uh, you know what they saw and where they went and so always good to get that feedback all right Absolutely.
0: and if you want to come down and, and chase some rough grouse here in the appalachians of tennessee we're right in the heart of it so if you want to walk
1: woodcock he
0: can yeah we got a lot of woodcock out. if you want to come down to tennessee and and kill kill some woodcock or you can do that 10 mile walk through uh through the mountains for the two flushes a day. You're more than welcome to come with us. (laughs) But until next time, Todd, it's great having you on here, and we'll talk to you next time.
2: All right. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you.